0: Hello, this is Angelica and Erwan, and welcome to The Cluster Speaks, a podcast talking about Degenesis, the primal punk role-playing game. Hello.
1: Hi. How are you doing? I'm great, Erwan. How are you? I'm amazing. (laughs) No, I'm doing good, thank you.
0: (laughs) Amazing three weeks in a row.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's going well, you know, it's just like, it's a streak. No, I'm doing super good, thank you. Awesome. I'm finally glad we're coming back to this weekly uh, rendezvous. You know, it's a it's a nice meeting.
0: Mm -hmm. I always look forward to having this podcast recording in the middle of the week, especially when well, I'm off this week. I'm off work. So but normally I'm super stressed and busy and having this conversation in the middle of the week is like a nice break.
1: I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, to me, it's it's always super cool, like Tuesday evenings are um, uh, game night, and Wednesday evening is uh, podcast night, so I'm like, yeah, finally! Mm -hmm. It's my Degenesis time, aside
0: from work. And then in two days, the new content usually comes out, so...
1: Yeah, right! I don't know what it's going to be this week. All right. All right, what are we talking about today?
0: Well, this week, we'd like to discuss a hot topic among Degenesis players. It's probably one of the most common questions new players ask. How can all of these people from different cults interact and work together? For example, an Anabaptist and a Jehemidan. The lore says that they are in conflict with each other. They even fought the Adriatic Wars against each other. So how is it possible for a party of player characters to have an Anabaptist and a Jehemadin and not have them at each other's throats all the time?
1: I definitely think that's um, one of the most interesting topics in the game because... It goes back to what we said in the very first episode that the genesis is about showing all the um, the spectrum of what it is to be a human being and not killing each other is part of that. Um, In real life, as much as in any fiction uh, IP, I think there is a lot of... um, People are more moderate than the archetypes that are drawn in the books because you need to to make the the cults seem like they have a strong opinion on one another. But once you're in the world, not everybody is just going to, to stab another guy just because he belongs to another cult. Just like in real life, you don't just go in the street and start stabbing someone because he belongs to the police or uh, he belongs to another religion or um, whatever. Right. So I think that's the core element to understand first and foremost is that it's supposed to recreate what real life is about. And real life is about making compromise when you're with other people.
0: Yeah. And when you take that into account, you can actually have quite a variety of different character relationships in a party between people of cults that are, would normally be opposed to each other.
1: Definitely. Um, you can have, like, uh, like you said, Jamin and, uh, and Anabaptist is one of the most uh, used examples to show the, the spectrum of what's doable, but you can also go for uh, Spitalian and Apocalyptic. Seemingly, they're, they're supposed to be The arc uh, nemesis of one another, or um, uh, one other example is a Chronicler Pader. They're working on two different opposite aspects of the same coin, and they're fighting one another, theoretically. But still, there are ways where objectives can overlap, and um, the shades of grey are meeting one another.
0: Right. So, what are some examples of situations where two characters from different cults actually end up working together really well? The first thing I can think of is if they are siblings. Actually, you know, from the same family, or maybe they're cousins and they grew up together, but then they went their separate ways and joined different cults.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the uh, easiest example we can come up with. Um, mostly because I mean I, I like siblings as much as I like uh, friends from the same neighborhood or um, childhood friends. I think it's a good example because it means you have a bond that goes back to your innocent years. And you still have this respect for this person for whatever reasons or you still have this memory and distrust but then comes the doctrine the dogma whatever cult you belong to starts imposing on your mind um, but you could totally imagine something like uh, a family who was just a family of claner uh, suddenly joined the Anabaptists. so the kid when he was uh, very young was just a clanner with a, new, an, a specific ideology Um, and he had friends. And then his family joined the Anabaptist, and he becomes an Anabaptist, so he becomes a a touch one. And then maybe another kid is sold to the Spitalians, because times are harsh, and the family had to pay with the life of the kid to save the life of another kid, or the father or the mother, um, whatever you want. And so you have two kids who loved each other. They were friends. And one becomes an Anabaptist because of his parents, and the other one becomes Spitalians, also because of his parents. And boom! you get a, a bond between, between two characters. And when they reunite, you have an interesting story to, to tell.
0: And what's great about having two characters who knew each other as children is that that gives the players lots of room to explore that past relationship. So, for example, you know, they, if they were from the same village, you could explore the different events that happened in their childhoods together. Maybe that could even be like a session zero with both yeah. of the players. And then the players could explore... What happened when they separated, and if this is, you know, if if the first game session is the first time when these characters reunite, that's great role play, because then they're seeing each other for the first time in years, and I'm sure there's a lot of emotion that is involved in that sort of reunion.
1: I agree, I completely agree. That that was part of, um, for those who know, like two years, one year ago, I played like a um, a live session with the guys at SMV, and that was part of the idea like to play clanners um, in an isolated valley that start discovering the world and the threats um, around the valley. And we played like four sessions and then we played another four sessions. And when we played, the idea was that after five, six, seven years, I don't remember, they would meet again, but in gestation. And boom, you have like this reunion that's full of mistrust, but also nostalgia, that gives as you said extremely good roleplay if the players want to explore this aspect of the relationship
0: when you played uh that uh, live stream for six more vodka did you find that that setup was really successful for your uh, players group um
1: i mean i think it was in a way um what what it, what it was not was uh, adapted to the players i think most of them because they were uh beginners in uh, role playing games were completely lost once they left the valley, they felt completely lost in gestation. They didn't know what to do or to achieve their goals and all this kind of stuff. But the, this secluded valley scenario, I think it's a very good way to introduce people to, to the genesis. And I, I know that a lot of people have decided to, to use that as, a, as an introduction.
0: Yeah, because even as children, player characters could go on adventures or have experiences that, you know, that introduce them to the wider world. And especially those experiences, if they, for example, suffer a collective trauma together, builds that trust that even, even when they split later on, they remember that shared experience together.
1: Exactly. And I, I think also um, it's a good way to start building the, the conception of the world of the genesis through, through the eyes of a kid. So everything is much more dangerous. You're not as... Um, you're not a daredevil, uh, as you would think you are when you play an adult. So it forces the players to, to ground themselves in the threat level of what a child can um, actually withhold and, or like, take. And so after that, when they become adults, they know what stuff are actually dangerous. And so I think that's interesting to explore. But back to uh, the um, intercultural and intercult relationships, uh, what are the other options we, we can explore?
0: Well, uh, one example I was thinking of is perhaps this is applicable to actually a lot of playgroups: is strangers saving each other's life in the face of a common threat, uh, maybe gendō attacks, or I don't want to go into the you know really dangerous stuff, but m sumo, or maybe even like a drone attack from pheromancers, or you know even just another group of people, uh, uh bandits or something. So strangers who save each other's lives, and they get this feeling that okay, I have this person's back, or I can trust this person to have my back too. And if that keeps happening, as you know, it, it does happen in lots of different campaigns, then those two people can build trust and, and eventually friendship.
1: I, I agree. I think one of the other ways you can do that is to to be forced, for example, to travel together and for a long time, and the the, the time of the travel is generally enough for a relationship to start building, not necessarily to become enough to become trust, but enough for the characters to have like some sort of respect for one another. And when comes time to survive, they know that they need the other one for the rest of the journey. So that's when people start to sacrifice all their own stuff for um, the other players and and this kind of idea. And I really like, I really like the idea of a journey to, to forge a, a relationship.
0: Yeah, that actually uh, sort of ties into another example I was thinking of, where two people who start out with a strict relationship that's only mutually beneficial. For example, you're good at this thing, and I need your skill, and I have this thing that you need. Uh, But then as they're traveling, for instance, uh, they talk more and realize they have a lot in common with each other. And I think that when it comes to a long journey, there's plenty of opportunity for characters to sit down at a meal together and just talk and learn about each other's lives beyond whatever job they're currently doing. And especially when it comes to sharing a meal, I think that is a really strong bonding moment between human beings. And realizing they have a lot in common can lead them to develop fondness for each other.
1: Yeah. I mean, to, to me, for, I, I take a lot of examples from movies or, or series on how they, they build relationships. And re- recently, I, I watched a lot of uh, True Detective and the first season. And I really like how Cole and Marty, I, I don't know if you've seen her, uh,
0: True Detective. I haven't seen True Detective, no. Okay.
1: So basically, to give you like a too long, didn't read, uh, there are two different detectives from very different backgrounds. Uh, one is an e and the other one is uh, a family guy with a strong sense of justice. and. The nihilist is completely pessimist. He has no hope for the human race. He has no hope for the fight against uh, the evil at the beginning of the show. But the introduction goes through the two guys completely hating each other for their differences. But they're forced to work together, you know, like it's a buddy movie. So they are forced together. And throughout the show, the relationship evolves from like mutual disrespect, uh, but professional uh, obligation to actual love between those those two guys um that goes into them sacrificing a lot for the other and i think that's always a good example for players to explore the ways a relationship goes i mean we could do that with the the real life examples but we we don't have like the um, enough distance between ourselves and we we can distance ourselves enough with what happened in our life to um, take inspiration but i think from shows movies books um those are good examples on how you can develop a relationship from zero and make it not feel like you're forcing it, you know?
0: Yeah, because in the end, human beings are, are complex and we contain multitudes of different aspects of our personalities. So one guy might be a pessimist and one guy might be a, you know, a really uh, great family man, an idealist or whatever. But still, that doesn't mean that the pessimist is only a pessimist. I'm sure there are other parts of him that are hidden, that are revealed throughout the course of the movie or TV show. And then the family man, of course, has other parts of him, too, that can probably relate to what's hidden in his colleague.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the best example to, to, to stay on Detective, at the, on the very first episode, during the first long discussion, so Cole, the nihilistic, says he tries to create a relationship and he says, I had a daughter, but she's dead. She was two years old and you have like this oof moment yeah. and, and they are in the car and the other guy who has two kids is like, okay, you're not super fun. You must, you must not be super fun uh, uh, at parties. And so it's <laughs> like, okay, they start bonding, but the bonding is, it's like, it's tedious, but it's interesting because it's through this friction that you have all the fun elements of the, um, of the show, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's the same in the role-playing games.
0: Yeah, of course, human relationships aren't all terrible and all uh, positive. There's, there's always a mix.
1: Exactly. And I I think that's, that's very important when it comes to make all of this work in a party. I think that's why session zeros are so important to start thinking about how the synergy is going to work in the group. It doesn't have to be perfect, but if you want to make sure that you're not going to start with a, you meet each other in a, in an Mm in type of scenario. It's good to, to start talking about it, to discuss synchronize with the GM to see how you can make sure that everybody expects the same. And that's where that, I think the, the, scars and alignment, um, mechanics from artifact are very interesting because it's not meant to like overcome and, um, make all the roleplay disappear, but it helps saying, okay, we all have this uh, common goal. This is this one, and we're all try- going to try to work in this direction.
0: Definitely. In fact, I was thinking that, you know, there should be a lot of prep work involved, regardless of, you know, if players are all choosing characters from different cults, but especially if players are choosing characters from opposing cults. There should be a lot of prep work before the first game starts. Part of the GM's job is to set up the adventures so that the characters actually work together (laughs) and not in opposition to each other. But if there is opposition or antagonism, I think that you know, it's a GM's responsibility to balance that out with situations that force the PCs to bond or at least to cooperate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, I think it's, it's also, I think it's also on the, on the, the player's uh, desk because we put a lot of stuff on the GM's desk, but I think players should, uh, I think it should be like a player's objective to make sure that the group works and oh,
0: Sure. Definitely.
1: before, before the game starts, I think it should be like a discussion to make sure that nobody is going to make something that is so in opposition to the group that it couldn't work, or that their behavior in-game is going to be so antagonist with uh, another character for no reason apart that they are from different cults. I think it's really important for the players to have that in mind as well.
0: Oh, I totally agree. In fact, I think that for some players, now this may be an issue in other games that are not Degenesis, games that sort of encourage combat and antagonism more. Mm. but. I definitely know that there are scenarios where the players don't work together and then one of them ends up really being a huge antagonist to another and they're claiming, oh, it's in character for me. But honestly, it's not a fun time. And I think what would make it more fun is if the two players who are usually in opposition to each other in terms of cult sat down together and said, hey, let's be each other's antagonists to a certain point. You know, let's figure out how we can uh, role play in character uh, in accordance with our cult ideals and how that's going to turn out, like the consequences of that. And at what point do we realize like, oh, these characters have worked together and cooperated and saved each other's lives enough that the antagonism is no longer necessary. And I think that if, if two players sit down and actually talk about it, they're more likely to come to an agreement and look forward to it and have more fun with it.
1: I think it's really interesting what you said. Like, I, I don't know a lot of players who do that. I've not met any mm-hmm. who actually take the time to discuss, like, the interplayers, players uh, inter relationship. Like, not necessarily plan them, but at least think about what they could become and how the roleplay could evolve in a certain direction. I've never seen that before.
0: Oh, I do that all the time, so maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm unique in that respect. But, um, for example, for my group, Uh, I had them sit down with each other and and talk about the character relationships that, because they all know each other, all the characters, I mean, know each other at, at game start. So I had them sit down and talk about how they knew each other and what kind of relationships their characters already have. And I guess sort of the expectation going forward, not in the sense of, okay, this is only what's going to happen, but here's generally speaking how, like the judge, for instance, is going to treat the scrapper based Mm -hmm. on their past relationship and i think that really helps the party um be more cohesive i think that sets their expectations and allows them to uh, embody their characters a little bit better at the get-go
1: that's interesting that's really interesting like i see my players and they're good players but they don't discuss that much between sessions and when they do it's more for planning the strategy of what they're going to do next more than they are discussing um the role play or, or the relationships or how they want to, this to evolve or anything like that like in two years of campaigns and now like five six session into uh, our justician campaign i've never seen them do anything but planification in between sessions so i think that's that's something interesting i would like to to see them do if they are up for it
0: yeah every group is different i
1: agree i agree but but still like as a gm i i tend to I tend to expect. I mean, I I guess it's a GM thing. I I like when my players are invested Mm -hmm. and they they start having ideas outside of the realm of what I push their ways. You know, Mm -hmm. I love when they they take initiatives or start discussing stuff outside of the game, uh, outside of the game sessions. I mean, so yeah. I, I mean, I think it's interesting what you do, and I think it's it's very cool if players can do that because it would ease so many things inside the session themselves because it's still a hobby it's still uh supposed to be a fun time and it's not supposed to be like a a friction time Mm -hmm. i mean to an extent it can be but it's more not i guess what most people are expecting from this
0: probably not um i i don't know i think maybe it's a it's a result of lots of years of role-playing um not just through tabletop RPGs but other mediums like you know play by post on forums and stuff mm. and i don't know i think in my experience it's always helped uh, make the experience smoother and more enjoyable in the long run so i encourage it if any of our listeners want to try it out and they, they don't yet i super encourage it <laughs>
1: i do too i do too um what else can we say about that i think one of one of the best ways I've managed to ease people into those mixed group was to talk in terms of real life examples. It's like I think it's the easiest to do when it comes to okay, why should these people collaborate, or why would they not kill each other? I don't know about you. Uh, I mean, I don't know about necessarily about your background, but I grew up like in the, the suburbs of Paris, and a lot of my friends were from like very humble families uh, or sometimes from the hood, as you would probably say in, in English. And so we had like very different backgrounds. So I'm, I'm like a white guy. Um, and a lot of my friends were Arabic, Muslim people or uh, black people. So we didn't have like the same uprising. And when we met for most of them in middle school or in high school, we had like different backgrounds, like completely different backgrounds. And for example, my parents are cops. And so I've always found that super funny that I would be friends with people that my parents would consider as dangerous because, well, a lot of my friends were dealing drugs or consuming drugs because that's part of what happened in their um, environment. And now one of them became cop. Wow! And so I find that so interesting because it means this guy grew up in a city that was Mostly known for uh, drug dealing, um, petty crimes, and stuff like that. And he became a cop and he still frequents the guys he was a uh, friend with when he was a kid that still are, selling, are uh, selling drugs. And to me, it's like the perfect example of you don't start denying your, uh, your past or your friends just because you start a career or because you join a specific institution.
0: Yeah, totally. In terms of my own background, My fiancé and I are two different religions, so his is a little bit more strict. In fact, his sort of teaches him that mine is, you know, wrong. But yet, we love each other, we've been together for, you know, almost eight years now, we're going to get married, and we totally plan to, you know, grow old together and uh, live a great life together. So just because we have these different beliefs doesn't mean that we can't also strongly value each other love each other and you know care and support about each other
1: yeah i completely agree i think like a lot of questions that players and gms should ask themselves when they start playing are look around yourself because it's the best way to understand why this intercult thing is important and can work look around yourself check your friends where are they from do you all share the same backgrounds? Do you all come from the same places? Are you all sharing the same values? Do you think you're only surrounded by people that are exactly like you? Which I, I think is not the case. Like you, If you live in a city, you're probably not the, the same person as everyone else. You have like different tastes, different opinions. People need to understand that a role-playing game doesn't work like differently than the real world. People are different. People are not killing each other on site just because they look different. And that's why that's how it works, you know? Like, just look at real life. It's very simple and it works.
0: <laughs> in real life, people are way more mellow and chill <laughs> about other people than yeah. it, it, they might seem. And also, you know, sometimes if people read the lore, they may get the wrong impression about Degenesis being really black and white. But it's really a spectrum yeah. of greys. And the same person in real life who is part of... Uh, uh, an organization with certain beliefs m- may be completely different from a different person who is part of that same organization. You know, one person might be more hardcore about what the group does or what they believe in, whereas, you know, person B might just kind of be chilling <laughs> or even disagree with some of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay, I keep thinking about a um, very, very weird example, American History I don't know, you, you've seen the movie, I guess.
0: No, I have not actually, but I know about it. (laughs) Shit.
1: Okay, so uh, Big Brother is like a neo-Nazi. He Uh goes in jail for killing um, a young black guy uh, on the pavement in front of his house. And when he leaves uh, jail, he's much more moderate about his view of the world. But Little Brother becomes a new neo-Nazi in power because of a lot of reasons. And the Big Brother still hangs with the same guys, so old neo-Nazi and stuff like that. But he became so moderate while his little brother became so extreme that it creates a very interesting tension. And I think that's like those tiny details of character evolution. That's how people should see the game. Like you can start as a very polarized character and you can become more moderate or the other way around. That's true. And I, I think people should look a, a tiny bit more into character evolution in movies or in, in in shows or books or whatever media they consume to see how, all people from different backgrounds come together.
0: Yeah, and I th- you make a great point about the characters themselves changing over time. Because when a game starts, you don't have to necessarily have everybody get along right away. A character can absolutely hate another one in the beginning, like let's say uh, a guerrero and uh, an African. Mm-hmm. They could absolutely hate each other, but I think what's really uh, important in role-playing especially, is the evolution of a character. When a character is the same every time, no matter what, then it's, you know, it's not really believable. Mm -hmm. Whereas if a character starts at a certain point, point A, and then is faced with obstacles, not necessarily like physical, like a fight, but challenges to their morality, challenges to their current worldview, challenges to how they view and understand uh, other people. And to see them, to see a character face those challenges and come out of them with an evolved perspective is, I think, what's really important in role-playing. I think it's at that point when role-playing stops, or it, it stops becoming, you know, oh, I have this character and it, he has a, a weird quirk uh, and it's funny or tragic and we'll go with that. And then it becomes layered and meaningful and human.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I, I, I agree. I, I think it comes when when players start being becoming very comfortable with their characters, like they start understanding them, actually thinking like them, and um, the I think it just comes with with time. Uh, but when it starts appearing, you have very interesting moment of role play. I think about. I mean, I keep thinking about my players, like uh, after a year and a half of, of playing, uh, the player started doubting his core beliefs and he was completely lost. And it led to amazing moment of roleplay where all the other characters were trying to understand what he was going through, but none of them could because of the amazing roleplay role of uh, the player guy. And I keep thinking like, this is exactly what we are playing for. I mean, some people love playing to win and slay stuff. But from my experience with my people, uh, the Genesis has been an experience of um, uh, narration, amazing role play moments, and a lot of emotions, actually, like from happiness to sadness, joy, despair, uh, lost, a lot of different moments and um, colors of emotions.
0: Yes, I think that that's what makes Genesis really stand out, is that it provides room for all these opportunities for deep emotional roleplay compared to other games. And I think that when you have characters especially that are opposed to each other, uh, and well, typically would be opposed to each other anyway, and then you put them in situations where they can share joy and share hardship and share sadness, I think that really erodes what you would consider the stereotypical views of the cults of each other.
1: Yeah. I agree. That actually makes me um, think about uh, something that I I think is really important. When you start playing uh, the Genesis, and I think it also applies to any big IP, before you start making characters that you would think as exotic, try to play, or at least to understand, the archetypical uh, character of a specific cult, class, whatever, before starting to try to make them diverge uh, from this archetype. The reason I say that is because, uh, for example, I, I see a lot of people want to make like uh, exotic Spitalians uh, like in in many different ways. But I think if you start playing a Spitalian and then you add layers of complexity on top of the classic archetype, you will enjoy it more um, if you start playing, uh, uh, of course. And when you get really experienced, now at this moment, you know how to, you know what's expected and you know how to change that. It's like, master the rule before you you start playing with it, I guess?
0: Yeah, I remember when we f- my group first started playing Genesis. there was so much information uh, that, you know, it was a little overwhelming. And we created our first characters with much more limited knowledge of the world, the lore, and just the subtle connections that everyone can have. Yeah. So I think that if I had started out with a character that was super... Like, atypical for his cult, he was an apocalyptic, then I think I would have uh, just had an overall worse experience. Mm-hmm. I think I would have floundered a lot more um, in trying to understand who he is. And let me tell you, even playing a typical apocalyptic, I still had trouble. Like, I still struggled to understand him as a character in the context of the world. If mm-hmm. I had added more stuff on top of that, it would have been terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I think actually, I I mean it's just an idea that pops out right now. But I think the best thing people can do when they start playing the Genesis is just start with something very small, something very contained, to let everyone just like you know experience the world and have a, an idea, a taste of what it's like, and and so you you don't have like to to jump in like a very long campaign like with months and months of content ahead. You just just like. I think that's what you kind of did, Angelica, like you start with something pretty small and then you switch uh, with other campaigns in between when you start getting yep. more comfortable. I think that's a good way to like jump in and I guess like check if you're comfortable with the game.
0: Yes, actually, uh, what you said is true because we actually retired our very first characters uh, recently. We decided that we finished playing them, that their mm-hmm. their stories may not be finished, but we have a, a level of understanding of the world of Degenesis now that you know we're more comfortable playing other cults um, and more complex characters. Like sometimes I think back on my first character and and wonder how I would remake him if uh, if I knew then what I know now, and he would be totally different. But I'm also glad, like I don't regret that I made him. The way i did uh because he was my first introduction to the world and experiencing the game and the world uh through his perspective was really valuable and now now i have a much better grasp on how to create characters going forward
1: that's very nice to hear i i think i think that's really that's really like the core ID is to just I mean, it's not related to like intercultural and intercult and everything, um, the relationship between the characters. But I think when you start playing the Genesis, it's it's cool to take it easy, take it slow. Don't make it too serious. It's just a game. Uh, but just start feeling comfortable with it. And it, it it it's also something that applies to the GM. I think GM should take it very easy. Like don't start. That's my opinion. Uh, don't start with something too complex. Just maybe you're an amazing GM. Maybe you have the best ideas in the world. but my advice when, any, I think it applies to any game, start slow, start easy with every game. Make like a, a two session a scenar- a scenario that you can play very quickly. So everybody gets like a taste of what it's gonna be like. And so everybody also understand uh, the, the theme, uh, understand the uh, the mood, um, the type of character you're gonna be like, um, the type of scenario you're gonna play. That's That's so overlooked. And I think it could be very beneficial because a lot of people around are like, I don't know how to start playing the Genesis. It's so complex. Start easy. Start with something generic and add like a tiny bit of the Genesis flavor to it, but not too much. Just enough for the players to be like, oh, that's different from the rest of the games. And I like it.
0: Do you think that GMs um, being GMs have a harder time not only just understanding the stereotype of the various cults and cultures, but... Sort of subverting them or or realizing how characters from those cults and cultures
1: could interact? I, I, I think yes. I mean, in a way and to a certain extent, I think it's a flaw for every GM when you start reading something. Like you, you see it as it's written, so very, very contrasted and very black and white. So it's written Anabaptist ate Giamitans. Oh, okay. So they must eat all Giamitans and they would never cross each other without killing each other. I think that's how you see it in the first place and it takes some time. But that's exactly why I think it's important to start playing slow and very compressed because it makes you realize, okay, that's not exactly how it works. And it's impossible that everybody in a city is from a different cult and that they survive together. I I mean, if you start playing, you realize what it can't work. So yeah, to answer your question, I I think GMs in the first place are all very lost. Like if you read the question on Discord, a Lot of people don't understand, and I mean, I'm not blaming them, I think it just takes time.
0: Yeah, that's what I was getting at. I think that if uh, a GM were new to Degenesis and they wanted to start with their first campaign, I think that as exciting as it would be to explore like the friction between you know the Spitalions and the Apocalyptics, mm-hmm. for instance, or the Chroniclers and the Palers, I think that that's a little bit too much to start with. I think that maybe as exciting as a conflict, uh, you know, being central to a campaign is, it takes a lot more GMing experience to understand how even a conflict isn't black and white, because there are there are still people from the two different sides who probably interact and maybe not help each other, but definitely could tolerate being in each other's presence. Like, for example, uh, a friend of mine and I uh, were discussing Pergare and the Adriatic Wars. Yeah, And we noticed that the cities of uh, Santiago, and uh, I probably am butchering the pronunciation of this, but Cruces, Cruces, I guess. How they are sickbays for the wounded, you know, from the Adriatic Wars. And it doesn't say who goes to where. So I imagine that you'll see Jehemodans and Anabaptists both, like, trying to recover in this battalion sickbays together, mm-hmm. like, the Spitalians don't care necessarily about a rivalry or a conflict that is technically over. So you may see a Jehemadin and, and an Anabaptist in in beds next to each other, wounded, ill, and they have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think
1: actually that's a, a very good moment. Like you could play a, a very nice first scenario where the two guys are still healing. They are next to each other and they are the only company that both are gonna have for like the next whatever amount of days. And they're gonna see a doctor once a day, someone to bring them food, but they're gonna be sitting, like li- literally lying next to each other. And I think that's, that's a cool way to introduce two characters, you know? Because maybe one is just gonna be like, oh, actually, I, I kind of like this guy. Maybe I'm gonna wait until he, he recovers fully before I leave, you never know.
0: Yeah, and that kind of uh, grayness, you know, just because they were on opposite sides of a war doesn't mean that that sort of situation can't exist. And I think that's really exciting. And I think that maybe beginner GMs, especially those who are just starting in Degenesis for the first time, it may be some... I'm not saying avoid it, but there's a lot more that goes on into conflicts than what is in the text. And so You really need the experience of understanding the lore of the various cults before you dive into that sort of complexity.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And I think, like, to to add on top of that, uh, and on the fact that you said, like, there is grayness everywhere, I completely agree. I think it's something, in general, uh, Mm -hmm. people need to see that not everything is one sided. There is more to every line. Um, You just condense, like, you have to condense it when you want to publish a book. You can just publish uh, Mm -hmm. tons and tons and tons of. Um, layers of um, subtlety to an entire book. Um, so you you have like to give like the big chunks and then you divide them and make them tinier chunks. Um, and I, I expect people to see that when they see the way Franca was explored, um, you see like all the nuances in one region. So based on how Franca works, you should be able to understand that the rest of the world in its each region is in its own way as nuances, subcultures, with uh, influence on how cult is going to behave. Basically, the Baptists from Britain are probably completely on the other side of the spectrum as the, uh, the Baptists from Poland. Like, you, you need to have that in mind, and you, but take it slowly. Like you read it, you mm. see, okay, the Baptists, Poland, Britain, the same. And then you start playing and you're going to see the nuances, but don't make it too hard on yourself when you start reading.
0: But I will say that the books do include examples even if they are brief examples about, you know, uh, deviations from the stereotype in each cult. Like immediately I can think of Spitalians who take burn. Yeah. Uh, and are in our abusers of it. Yeah, the Spitalians fight against the primer and the sepsis and, you know, they hunt down apocalyptics who sell burn, but then they also take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there are hypocrisies in every cult. There are people, you know, who who go against their own cult's beliefs while at the same time outwardly expressing their cult's beliefs. Yeah. So these battalions who take burn, they have to get it from somewhere.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or if you read uh, the dying light light story, battalions recruit kids from the apocalyptics. How terrible yeah. is that?
0: Pretty terrible.
1: <laughs> who would have expected that like it's and it, the the best is like they're taking orphans from the ge- Adriatic adi- adi- War to go feed the various um, parts of the spital. I think it's amazing to show that kids, and you can, you see in the story, like the Spitalian can't stand the presence of the Apocalyptic, he just wants to smash it. Uh, but yet he, he has to deal with him because he wants to buy the kids. That's how it goes. That's what you need to feel.
0: Yep, definitely. And I like how, especially with the website that's out now, you can see all these nuances. You don't have to necessarily play through the entire, you know, Jehemadan trilogy to fully understand it. You can see in the stories themselves the different interactions between cult members and how they manage to tolerate each other and work together despite their differing beliefs. Yeah,
1: yeah I completely agree. I, I, to sum it up, I think people should take more examples at what, what's around them. Observe your life. Observe how people around you are and how different from you they are. Then take inspiration from them, but also from other sources of media, because that's where that's where you're going to see the the most um, vibrant diversity of characters. And then take it slow, take it easy. Don't try to go too crazy straight from the beginning, uh, whether you're GM or a player. Like, just make yourself comfortable with the universe before you start making completely insane characters that are probably very cool, but that would require you to like. Understand the, the, the nuances of the game before you really feel comfortable with them. And then I would say talk with each other. That's maybe the most important part. Uh, as Angelica said, it, communication is key.
0: Yeah. And if any of our listeners have any cool stories about characters that they have played who were in uh, an opposing cult to another character, but it all worked out great, uh, let us know because I'd love to hear all those examples.
1: I do too, I think. I think everybody can learn from that. Um, It's a good example. I think that's the kind of stories that can fuel the imagination of other GMs. So please do share.
0: Yep. You can join our Discord server at discord.gg slash Degenesis. Amazing. And check out Degenesis at www.degenesis.com.
1: Don't forget to listen, citizens. Sometime the cluster speaks.